Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 216 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run the firm Real Employment or Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. In this podcast, we like to cover off all kinds of topics that may be helpful to you as an employer, a HR professional, or if you're an employee looking for some advice. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be covering off a relatively new area of law, dealing with an issue that is very much in the news these days, being menopause. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. Now, as I was saying, this is an area of law that has developed fairly recently and I think it's developing as a result of more awareness and understanding about menopause. Now as you know menopause and menopause awareness has been very much in the news in recent years and quite rightly so and I covered off menopause and the kinds of things employers could do to support their employees in episode 183 of the podcast when I interviewed Nicola Green, who's a specialist in helping organisations with menopause support at work. And in that episode, we talked about all the things that employers should be doing and can be doing to support their staff. Now, we all know that the number of people in your workforce and in the workforce currently who may be experiencing menopause symptoms is high, and that is only increasing as the number of women who are working into their Uh, 40s, 50s, 60s continues to grow. So it's not something I think that's going to go away. And this case highlights how the law in relation to this is taking effect. Now, there is no standalone right to bring a claim for discrimination in relation to menopause. So menopause is not a protected characteristic under the Equality Act. And so merely treating someone to their detriment because they are going through the menopause or having menopausal symptoms is not necessarily going to give rise to a claim. But what this case in the Employment Tribunal and some cases that have come before this show is that actually if the symptoms of menopause meet the definition of a disability under the Equality Act, then that person will qualify for protection under the Equality Act from detrimental treatment and it will also bring an onus on employers to make reasonable adjustments. So the case I'm referring to is an employment tribunal case and it's one that was heard in Leeds in April and the judgment was published recently and it's Mrs Linsky versus Direct Line Insurance Services Limited. Now Mrs Linsky had been employed by Direct Line for a number of years, so since April 2016. And eventually she resigned on the 3rd of May 2022 and brought claims in the Employment Tribunal for both constructive unfair dismissal and under the Equality Act. In 2019, Miss Linsky had started to develop some menopausal symptoms, things that were impacting on her life generally and in relation to her work. 
When she attended an appointment with her GP in March 2020, she was diagnosed with a hormone imbalance and depression and given some medication. She also notified her manager of the discussions with her GP and she'd had some challenges at work as a result of her feelings and admitted to her employer that she wasn't coping in relation to the sales role. So she was moved to a new role and Miss Lezinski had welcomed that change and been grateful for the adjustments that the employer had agreed in relation to that. Unfortunately, when she moved to her new role under a new line manager, there had been some complaints about her and she had told her line manager that she needed an adjustment to the number of calls that were required and she needed longer between each call. Unfortunately, that was refused and she asked for some training on the basis that she needed some additional support and that was also refused. What developed next was Mrs Linsky's performance was not satisfactory to her employer and she was denied a pay rise because in her performance review she was rated as needing improvement. The employer and her line manager were aware that she'd been experiencing symptoms of menopause however her line manager ultimately refused to accept that this was an underlying cause or an underlying factor in relation to her deteriorating performance. So despite the fact that she'd been doing really well up until the point in time that essentially her menopause symptoms had kicked in and she had then been diagnosed with a hormone imbalance, she had been doing really well. It was only after this that her performance started to dip and despite this the employer went down the route of giving her a need for improvement in their performance ratings. Mrs Linsky was experiencing panic attacks following this, was advised eventually in July 21 that she was unfit for work. Now the employer's sick pay policy said that she could receive up to 26 weeks of company sick pay in any rolling 12-month period and although the line manager had appeared to be supportive of her sickness absence and the work that she was doing during that sickness absence to help to get herself better. Her line manager asked her own superior if sick pay should be stopped to encourage Mrs Linsky to return to work. Now this is an interesting tactic that can often be taken by employers, which of course if the company's sick pay is contractual would then be a breach of contract. And It's also worth noting that to do so, even if the company sick pay isn't contractual, could be discrimination. And of course, in this case, Mrs Linsky found out about it and was quite aggrieved when her line manager and the superior used their discretion to stop the sick pay in September. As in their words, they felt she wasn't doing enough to help to improve her own situation. Mrs Linsky subsequently resigned in May 22 and remained unfit to work until February 23. Now in this case the employer refused to concede that Mrs Linsky was a disabled person for the purposes of the Equality Act right until the very last. So throughout the time in which she was employed and then subsequently in the course of the employment tribunal claim they continued to dispute that fact. However the employment tribunal accepted that Mrs Linsky would qualify under the Equality Act because of the menopause symptoms that she was experiencing. 
The Employment Tribunal were quite scathing in relation to the conduct of the employer in this case, and in particular the way in which she was dealt with by the line manager. They concluded that the employer had a duty to make reasonable adjustments for Mrs Linsky, and although they had made some adjustments, the Employment Tribunal weren't satisfied that they had gone far enough, and noted that they should have considered abandoning the performance procedure. They could have lowered her targets and also considered moving her to a different role, which they failed to do. Their decisions to give her a rating of requiring improvement, which resulted in no pay rise with the formal written warning and ceasing to pay her discretionary sick pay before the entitlement would have ended were all discrimination arising from disability. The employer was unable to show that what they had done was a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim and so had no defence to that discrimination. The tribunal also considered that a less discriminatory approach on the part of the employer could have been to make a referral to occupational health earlier and to give consideration to other roles and also to have accepted the employee's disability as a mitigation for the issues around her performance. Now, when I'm advising employers, if they have a situation with an employee who is asserting that they have a condition that could be a disability under the Equality Act, I always say that it's better to err on the side of caution and look at reasonable adjustments in exactly the same way as you would with somebody who has a disability, as not only does it help to mitigate the risk of a potential claim, but also it's really good practice. If any employee, regardless of their status as a disabled person or not, is saying, I'm having this issue that I am suffering and in order that I can do my job appropriately, I require these adjustments. Why not give proper consideration to them? Or even if the employee is not coming to you asking you for those adjustments, if you can see that they're struggling and they tell you that they're struggling, you should be looking at doing that. Ultimately, your job as an employer is to try to make your employees as successful as possible. And line managers aren't there to trip people up or to undermine employees or to, you know, make it so hard for them that they just can't continue. And if your line managers or people in your organisation are doing that, then ultimately, aside from the risk of potential legal claims, you're going to end up with a very unhappy workforce and people will vote with their feet. So regardless of whether you think that person has a disability or not, if they're asking for help and support or they look like they need help and support, you should be doing that. You can always obtain an occupational health report to get some confirmation about exactly what is the status of their condition and will be helpful in deciding what adjustments are needed. And if you need legal advice to ascertain if they would meet that disability criteria under the Equality Act, then you should obtain it, but it shouldn't be a barrier to providing those adjustments to the individual. It seems as though in this case, for whatever reason, the employer was hell-bent on saying, well, you don't have a disability or we don't accept you have a disability and therefore we're not going to look beyond those sort of surface things. The outcome for the employer was that the tribunal awarded them to pay over £64,000 in compensation. And this compensation included £23,000 for injury to feelings and £2,500 was awarded for aggravated damages. Now, aggravated damages aren't 
given very often um, because it has to be something in addition. And in this case, the employment tribunal decided that the employer should have made that concession that Mrs. Linsky was a disabled person for the purposes of the Equality Act much earlier instead of holding on and continuing to assert that she wasn't, thereby placing an additional burden on her when she was bringing the claim by herself. So what can employers take from this case? Well, it's important to note from this case that the symptoms of menopause can lead to an employee being a disabled person for the purposes of the Equality Act and therefore less favourable treatment due to menopausal symptoms could result in a claim for discrimination. It can also result in a claim in regards to age, sex or gender reassignment. Obviously we talked about it, menopause affects a large proportion of the workforce and this is increasing and awareness is increasing. So it's important not to disregard or dismiss employee concerns around menopause, but to address it and embrace it. One way you can do this is to ensure that managers understand the symptoms of menopause and their obligations in regard to support. And you could also consider adding a menopause policy to your handbook or go back to the episode where I interviewed Nicola Green and have a look at the kinds of things that employers can be doing to really champion and ensure that you're providing the best possible uh, workplace and support for all employees. So that includes those people going through menopause symptoms, but also it can also include the partners of those people who are having menopause symptoms. So it's, it's not gender specific, the kinds of support that you can provide, it can cover the whole workforce. I just want to take a moment to use this podcast to raise awareness for Zoe's Law. Zoe's Law is all about melanoma awareness and a campaign to make it law for all moles that are removed to be tested. Currently, the law doesn't require anybody who removes a mole to test them. Eileen Punter is Zoe's mum and she's going to tell you about Zoe's law herself. She was going into work. She just said, oh, I feel really, really sick. So I said, well, where are you? And she was in the car park. She worked at the hospital. She's a radiographer. And I said, you're best going in because you've been scanning COVID patients. They might want, you know, you might have caught COVID. And they just said, no, no, you haven't got COVID, but go home. You might have caught a sickness bug off the children because she was so bad. She then called me about 11 o'clock at night. I took her back to the hospital. They did a scan that night. And I think now I can look back on it. I think Zoe knew what she saw as well, but didn't want to scare me. She, they said, oh, we think it's your gallbladder. Stay in overnight. And I spoke to her all night. She was going, she did say to me, what if it's cancer? And I was like, don't worry. They can deal with that now. There's so many, you know, they're, they're, they're so many different cures of cancer. You'll be fine, Zoe. Don't worry. And then it was, um, well, it was only 55 days later and she died because it just spread through her body so quickly. Two years ago, the doctors said to her, um, well, if you're that worried, go to a beautician and get it cut off. It's nothing. And I was with her that day because I said, but surely you cut them off and test them. And they said, oh, we don't have the funding for that anymore. We don't do it. Uh, Zoe's Law, we set up after we lost Zoe, because just to raise awareness about melanoma, skin cancer, because I didn't really know anything about it. I, I just thought, you've got a mole, it's turned bad or something's wrong with it. They cut it off, 
and that's it and it's all done and finished i didn't realize what a, a really nasty cancer that is and also to advise people if you've got anything don't go to just a beautician get it cut off and thrown away go to a doctor's get proper advice get them to refer you to a proper dermatology or skin clinic so that they are checked properly So I'll put a link to the case in the show notes if you want to go ahead and read the full judgment. But it, as I say, is a developing area of law, something that I'm sure we're going to see more and more cases on, as unfortunately, not all employers and HR professionals listen to this podcast and are not as educated as you are listeners on these things. And so employers are still ignorant to the fact that they have these additional obligations. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I do appreciate your continued support and your listenership to the podcast. If myself or my team can help you in any way in relation to menopause policies, HR procedures, reasonable adjustments, the Equality Act, you name it, if it's employment related, then we can help. Please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentadvice.co.uk. Alternatively, you can call our head office on 01983 897 003 and my colleague Cathy will be happy to set you up with an appointment to have a chat with a solicitor on the telephone. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you have a fantastic week ahead. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.